what up what up what up welcome to hardcore casual my name is whack ops how you doing what a great week we had what a great week full of interesting gaming news we have a lot to talk about a lot going on in the community a couple of quick show notes here before we get started one five minutes of sports will be back coming next week because you know what happens next week kickoff of the NFL football season is coming and that means I get to talk all about my San Francisco 49ers and I promise to all of you who are not here for that segment I'll try and make it easy for you and I will try to keep it to five minutes for you guys for the rest of you if you're not a Niner fan and you love football expect me to hurt your feelings moving on there's also no real this week we're not going to have the real segment there was just too much going on in the gaming space for me to be able to talk about everything and try and keep it within a, a good time frame other than that this week we have updates and previews that happened all over the place i don't know why there was a bunch of technical demos that happened and things like that we also got more details about halo infinite's upcoming release uh, a couple of details kind of trickled out after Gamescom last week. So we definitely have more to talk about on the back end of the show when we get into the Platform Wars segment. And of course, for our trigger warning this week, we are talking all about the Peggy Ratings Board. If you don't know what the Peggy Ratings Board is, we're going to get all into that very soon. Let's go ahead and get into our headliners, where we tell you what made the front page this week in games and entertainment. The first thing I wanted to talk about, let's just get it out right off the bat. It's all about a day off Twitch. Now, that just happened at the time of this recording yesterday. It is the second. It happened on September 1st. And we actually got some numbers from the impact that these organizers had on Twitch as a platform. This is coming from Creator Hype. They had roughly a 10 to 15% drop in viewership compared to previous weeks and roughly a 10 to 12% drop in streamers compared to previous weeks. So they did have an impact. I'm not surprised it was within within 20%. I didn't think it was going to get past that without any really, really big-time streamers uh, supporting the cause, but that's okay. I think there will be more days like this, and quite frankly, if if Twitch doesn't have a response in a relative amount of time, I would say probably by end of day today, then I would go ahead and say that maybe it needs to be a week off Twitch. Or maybe we start looking at other platforms. I will say this. I'm 100% in support of this whole movement. People want to create, create some level of accountability for the platform that they are dedicating so much of their energy and time to. I think it's time to start asking the big creators not to not stream, but instead take a full stream session a full day of their stream all collectively at the same time and put whatever money you get in on that day donate to a cause that maybe promotes coding with young women or people of color people getting into the games industry people getting into journalism different education programs or just different ways for creators to add benefit to their viewership specifically within the marginalized, the POC, the people of color, the LGBTQ+, all of these different groups. You know what I mean? Like, that is important. But again, today, most of the focus was on the Black Twitch community, which all respect, they have been dealing with hellish behavior on the platform. And I can only imagine the mental health toll that it's already taken. Um, and let's hope that this will bring them some reprieve soon, if not from Twitch, then at least from some solidarity within the community. Moving on, let's go ahead and talk about Netflix, because Netflix Gaming has just started testing their first mobile games in Poland. This comes to us from Netflix Geek Twitter, but I'm actually reading some good information from GamesIndustry.biz. Quote, the test is currently limited to Netflix subscribers in Poland and just two games, Stranger Things 1984 and Stranger Things 3. So this is going to be coming at no additional cost to the customer. And Netflix has come out and stated that this is very early days. So 
just keep your expectations in check here because this is probably years away before we really get something tangible and something we can really sink our teeth into. It does not surprise me that they're going after the mobile space first because uh, mobile makes a lot more money in the gaming space than people give it credit for. Quite frankly, I'm surprised more people aren't in the mobile space. That's why you see certain companies, I won't name names, who are leaning really heavy into that monetization style, that monetization structure. So we'll see how Netflix shakes out. I don't know how they're going to cross the controller barrier because that always seems to be the biggest issue. What controller are you going to put out? How are you going to get it in the hands of your customer, et cetera, et cetera. But Netflix has a lot of money over there. So we'll see. I can't wait to see what they do in the gaming space. Next, we have the big story on the front page that I wanted to talk about this week, and that is brought to us by GamesIndustry.biz and the Wall Street Journal, and it is China's crackdown on gaming. Now, here are the new rules as it goes in China currently, as of last week, I believe. Gamers under 16 can only play between 8 and 9 p.m. Friday through Sunday and on holidays. So that is, they're basically being relegated to three hours of gaming a week for everybody who is under the age of 16 in China. There's a lot of problems with that, mostly, you know, overbearing kind of scary government stuff. You know, if people need these laws and instead of being able to raise their children, that feels a little scary. The government has also referred to gaming as electronic drugs or, or drug use. They, they basically made it as serious as drug addiction, which for some people it is, but I would argue it, it's not nearly to the same degree as, as alcohol addiction and things like that. Let's let's get into a little more information here. Last year, China implemented a rule requiring players to log in using their real name. So that essentially circumvented getting away with lying about your age. And then just a few months ago, Tencent, again, a Chinese company, launched facial recognition technology in order to curb youth gaming from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. Now, this Gaming prohibition that China is currently, you know, exerting its power over, big companies are paying close attention. China is a huge market for most gaming companies and a lot of just anybody trying to expand past the Western audience. China is the biggest, you know, the biggest spot on the map because it has the most people. I think it's very hard for businesses to know how to work around this. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the, the, the law that forces more companies to move away from the microtransactions and the gambling and stuff. But I don't know if they're willing to risk that for the Chinese audience, for the Eastern... I shouldn't even say Eastern audience, because the Japanese audience, it doesn't have these same restrictions. I believe Korea has similar laws, but that aren't as strict. At the end of the day, these are... Again, this scares me outside of the gaming space. This completely freaks me out only because I don't want the government telling me what to do inside my home, you know, within reason, as long as I'm not killing anybody or, or doing anything crazy. So I, I don't know. I feel for the gamers in China. I don't know how they're going to find a workaround, but something tells me there's some innovative kids out there who are going to find a way to be able to play more than three hours a week. And quite frankly, I think this is in many ways, going to stifle creativity, innovation, community building. Kids are going to have to learn how to communicate online with their friends more and more, it feels like. I feel like more and more of our lives are, are online, and I feel like gaming is a huge part of that for the youth. So I don't know. I, I don't know how much restricting them is really going to bode well, either in terms of the effect it's going to have on the businesses the the kids or you know whatever metric they're using to measure what gaming is supposedly being blamed for people like to blame gaming for a lot of different things and i think china is just one of the biggest examples of that i won't say that we're completely innocent because we blame video games for a lot of violence in this country when there isn't really any definitive proof of that 
the most you can say is that it increases playing violent or aggressive video games might increase your aggression slightly, but there's no connection between that and acts of real world violence. So I don't know. I feel like a lot of these countries are trying to deal with these problems from so high up that they they are disconnected and we're going to see more laws like this pop up. But I think these are the most extreme examples that you're going to see are probably going to come out of China. Now, enough of that. We can talk about Chinese law all day, but this is not a podcast about the Chinese legal system. This is a podcast about games, and we have the September release schedule for you guys. I cherry-picked through this, and I decided to talk about some games that personally interested me, but I know appeal to a large breadth of people, and we're just going to run through them real quick. So, on September 9th, we have Sonic Colors Ultimate, that is being developed by Sega. On September 10th, we have Life is Strange True Colors by Square Enix. Also on September 10th, we get Lost in Random by EA, NBA 2K22 by 2K, and WarioWare Get It Together by Nintendo. On September 14th, we get Deathloop by Bethesda Softworks. On September 16th, we get Eastward by Chucklefish and Game Deck by Anshar Studios. Keep an eye out for Game Deck. That one looks fun. On September 21st, we get Kenna, Bridge of Spirits by Ember Labs. This has been highly anticipated. Can't wait for that to come out. On September 23rd, we have Diablo 2 Resurrected. That's by Blizzard Entertainment. We also get Sable by Raw Fury. On September 24th, we get Death Stranding Director's Cut. That's by Sony Interactive. And Lost Judgment by Sega. And then rounding us out, we have September 28th, we get Lemniscape by Frontier Foundry, and Outer Wilds gives us the Echoes of the Eye DLC, that is by Annapurna Interactive, and finally, September 30th, we get Hot Wheels Unleashed by Milestone. Not gonna lie, it looks like a fun racer. It Don't laugh when it ends up being really fun. Let's keep the ball rolling here and get into some of these updates previews and announcements we got this week this might be a new upcoming segment not unlike the review rewind that i introduced last week there were a lot of details that dropped about games that are coming out soon or farther in the future that i wanted to talk about because for some reason we got a lot of news about upcoming games uh, that are maybe a little farther out so Again, updates, previews, and announcements where we bring you details on the most anticipated and talked about upcoming games releases. First, I want to make a little adjustment to what I said in my Gamescom episode. I talked about a game called Doke V. I wanted to give you an update and suggest you go watch a video if you're interested by GameRanks. I think they did a fantastic breakdown. They did like a top 10 details kind of deal. But in my Gamescom episode, I had said that Doke V is going to be an MMO. I talked about metaverse stuff and all kinds of stuff. So disregard that. My apologies. This started as an MMO, but it is not an MMO. It is made by Pearl Abyss, who makes Black Desert Online. So that is an MMO. That's probably why I thought that they promoted it as an MMO to begin with, but they have moved to make it a, you know, multiplayer open world experience but it is a single-player, story-driven, mostly, game. Again, if you haven't seen this trailer, go check it out. There's monster-catching mechanics. There, The traversal looks amazing. You got, like, six different ways of moving around the world. You had, like, a Spider-Man web swing and a, and a Breath of the Wild glider umbrella, and there was a jet ski, and it, it was a lot. That looked dope. And, quite frankly, the graphics look next-gen as hell. Like, I, I can't wait to just see if this game really ever comes out. We don't have a release date yet, but I want to see how it's received. It looks like they're appealing to like younger kids, but who knows? The combat, again, as I said before, it looks snappy. So like, who knows? Who knows? If the gameplay is good, I know gamers will gravitate to anything with some great game mechanics. So next we had a Dead Space technical preview now dead space uh again has no release date but i know this is considered at this point a cult classic it's one of ea's best ips 
And they finally just did a deep dive on their very, very, very early development cycle. So right now they're, they, they walk through, you know, environment and lighting and how they're touching up different environments and gave us little side by sides. They also showed us updated character models, not only for the enemies, but for your main man, Isaac. And they also talked about traversal. So I'm excited about this one, y'all. I don't know. It looked clean. It looked like they're actually trying to make a next gen game. And thank God, I believe they announced that it is next gen only. So hopefully by the tail end of 2022, start of 2023, uh, no barometer on their release date, but hopefully we start getting more games that are utilizing the next gen technology because I have a feeling that maybe not all the games are able to make the most of that technology because we're so early in the generation. Next, we got an update on Starfield. Out of nowhere, Bethesda decided to drop not one, not two, but three new videos detailing three different locations within the Starfield universe. A little update for those of you not in the know, Bethesda, generally speaking, does not do this. They've given us a release date of November 11, 2022, and usually Bethesda likes to drop one big trailer the year that the game is coming out, six months out, something like that, build the hype up, but nothing a year plus out and just trickling out information. I will say this, this is their first new IP in a very long time. So I can't wait to see what Bethesda does with it because I think people who are familiar with Bethesda, if you know the Elder Scrolls series, you know it. If you know the Fallout series, you know it. Granted, there's some division there because obviously it was owned by other companies before Fallout 3. But regardless, these three videos reveal details around not only these three different locations, but also around factions, different settings in terms of terrain and traversal, and also lore and story information. Honestly, the big three highlights that, that were brought up to me were the pirates. There's pirates in the game, space pirates, so that that's really awesome. I can't wait to do that. Of course, I have to do a space pirate run. Apparently, there are drug dealers, and there's some kind of organized crime element. That's really cool. I love that in RPGs because I feel like they sometimes miss that element. And, of course, political struggles because what is a Bethesda game without people vying for power and you getting in the middle of it? So... This, again, is coming out supposedly November 11th, 2022, uh, but we'll see. Who knows? I, I want to believe it, but I'm still really on the fence, especially considering how many delays we've already had up until this point ever since COVID. So next, let's go ahead and talk about Elden Ring. Now, Elden Ring also gave a hands-off update to multiple publications I think if you want the best information, I, I watched quite a few of them, and I would say Fextra Life probably had the best one. Go ahead and check out their YouTube channel. They do all the hardcore like RPG news. Anyway, Elden Ring gave no hands-on. Again, this is hands-off. No one was actually playing the game, but they were able to detail certain things about mounts and verticality, something that we had seen in the trailer before. It talked a lot about open world events and mechanics like different treasure chests or different random events that pop up on your map as you're moving through the world. They also talked about what's called Legacy Dungeon. So if you've never played a Dark Souls game or anything like that, Bloodborne, generally speaking, they're pretty linear. So this being a open world game, they're doing something special for fans of the traditional model and they're doing Legacy Dungeons. It's a traditional Dark Souls dungeon. Now, the big story is there is a map in this game. Now, again, I've never played a Dark Souls game. Maybe I will one day. Who knows? But there's no map in a Dark Souls game. Again, it's linear. So, And it's a lot about knowing your way around. It's hard. It's supposed to be very difficult. You're not supposed to make anything easy. So a map is a really big deal, being able to track where you're at. Apparently, there's going to be fast travel locations. That's a big deal. But it seems as though that they have really focused on flexibility for this title. And I think that is really awesome way of making this traditionally difficult genre a little bit more accessible, if not because you're turning down the difficulty, but allowing 
for more creative ways of solving all these different dungeons, problems, bosses, enemy types, things of that nature. So, we're getting this January 23rd, 2022. The front part of 2022 looks crazy. January, February already looks really, really wild. I can't wait to see Q1 for next year because I think we're going to have no time <laughs> to do anything but game. And thank God, honestly, that time of the year is dry as hell. So I'm not mad about it. The last technical preview that we got was very controversial. Of course, I'm talking about the latest Marvel video game, Marvel Midnight Suns. Now, we got a preview that showed gameplay, finally. At first, we only got a cinematic, and they hyped it up, and, you know, this was made by the same people who make XCOM, so people were very excited about the tactical strategy-based combat that they were hoping to get, that they typically get, from an XCOM title. Now, here's why this is a little different. is because this game has a randomized card system, then that is how combat works. So this caused a huge controversy. Now, now, granted, they also went over gameplay and story and customization. Like, everything checked out. Give me a good story. Give me some fun combat. Something engaging. Makes me think. Strategize. Take my time. But when people found out that there was a randomized card system, myself included, my enthusiasm kind of diminished. I forget who I was listening to recently, but they hit the nail on the head. They said, you know, they kind of missed the XCOM fans and the Marvel fans when that randomized card system uh, came up. Basically, you have a deck, you draw the cards, they come up, and then that's what you use to attack, defend, uh, buff your teammates, things of that nature. Immediately when people saw a card system, they were like microtransactions. You got Marvel plus, you know, customization plus a card-based system. It just does not bode well that didn't make anybody any less nervous about this title so much and so that they actually came out and said something on twitter this is again the marvel midnight suns twitter quote hey folks regarding our battle card system there is no loot boxes in marvel's midnight suns or related microtransactions to get more cards i.e gamma coils we will have purely cosmetic character skins for purchase that do not affect game balance in any way so you know again i'll just say it we've heard things like this before i believe this is being published by 2k so you know what 2k does with the nba titles uh, it can go either way it can go either way but given that it's marvel and it's such a popular ip that's probably what make is making people nervous is because we've already seen marvel stuff bleed their customers dry through microtransactions and uh, surprise mechanics and things of that nature but i will have some faith i'll hold out for launch and I, quite frankly i'll be paying attention six months nine months after launch when typically these companies start trying to sneak in these other ways of making money and making sure these games are evergreens and and just have the longest tail possible so again this is coming out march of 2022 please check all these games out Every one of these titles deserves your time. Um, in terms of your level of interest, in terms of technical previews, I would say only a few of them really give us some concrete information. And again, some of these games are very far off, specifically those first three that I talked about. But I think for Marvel's Midnight Suns and for Elden Ring, they're certainly worth your time if you've been waiting to dig into some more content. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into our first break, and when we come back, we are going to talk all about OnlyFans. OnlyFans is the first topic in our Streets Are Talking segment this week. But on that note, we'll be right back. Thank you very much. My name is Wack Ops, and this is Hardcore Casual. Okay, guys, welcome back. Let's go ahead and jump right into the Streets Are Talking segment. That's where we talk about rumors, gossip, and controversy. I'll be honest, this week, all controversy. No rumors, no gossip, all real, all happening. So let's jump right into it. 
we're going to be talking about OnlyFans. Now, why am I bringing up OnlyFans? Because if you were on Twitter or you were paying attention this week, there was not only a decision that OnlyFans made to ban all explicit content, sexually explicit content, pornography and the like from their platform, and immediately within a week reversed their decision. Now, this story is coming to us from the Wall Street Journal. I'm going to read you a quote, and then we can kind of break down some of why this applies to the gaming space and content creators like myself. Quote, Sophia Bernardi, a spokeswoman for OnlyFans, told the Washington Post that the move came after the company's banking partners assured OnlyFans that it can support all genres of creators. Tim Stokely, founder and CEO of OnlyFans, told the Financial Times this week that the Bank of New York Mellon, Metro Bank, and J.P. Morgan Chase were the banking partners that caused the initial decision. Man, Tim Stokely straight threw the banks right under the bus. So, for those of you that don't really know what's going on, basically, if you work in anything that could be considered illegal or is right up against the line of legality, maybe you're starting a weed business and it's only legal in certain states, or your business is known to be uh, frequented by sex workers, then banks will be less likely to lend to you or forget about lending to you, hold your money at all. Because if the federal government decides to shut you down, now they have to get involved in federal court and be like, why did you let this person keep money with you? So with all that being said, let's talk about why this was so messed up and why there was so much backlash at the initial decision to begin with. And it's because I think a lot of us realize that sex workers are, one, deserve rights too. Rights to work, too. And two, sex workers are not expendable. This is a situation where I feel like we could do a lot of learning. I saw a lot of a lot of really unsavory conversations online and a lot of laughter around this. But I'm like, yo, y'all realize that this affects all creators, right? If you're a content creator on the internet, this OnlyFans situation should immediately have your attention especially if it's your primary source of income. Because, sure, you might not be doing, you know, sex-positive work in the internet space or anything like that. You might not be on OnlyFans. I get that. That might not be your market. That might not be your consumer base, whatever, however you want to put it. It deserves its space within the, the content creator community as well. But beside all that, the decision that OnlyFans made harkens back to and reminds me of so many other platforms no creators are expendable we are the value of these platforms how many of you knew of OnlyFans first as a place for sex workers and now that they have a large enough base of people who are not doing pornography on their platform or sex work on their platform they can just push them out the door. No more building these companies on our hard work just to be cast aside for later. And the reason I'm saying our, I'm not a sex worker, no. But what I am is a part of a marginalized group that is always creating more and more and more value, whether it be to a company, uh, to society, to a platform. And then immediately when they no longer see a reason to keep paying me, so to speak, as soon as I've done my part and brought in enough value into the business, there's no there's no parachute for these people. There's no parachute for, for content creators. There's no retirement plan. We don't have the same protections as other employees, as other workers. So when it comes to their just arbitrary ways of being able to say, one day you have a career, the next day you don't, with a snap of their fingers. Now that is problematic. Honestly, I don't know how this all works. I'm new to the content creator space. I will admit that. But what options do we have in terms of having platforms owned by, managed by creators themselves? We have enough content creators in the space with enough money that we can get a platform off the ground, don't we? We have enough smarty pants, 
technical wizards in the gaming space that we can create something, right? There's plenty of women computer engineers who aren't getting play at these other big companies or people of color who aren't getting play at these bigger companies being marginalized or put in a box or used as tokenism or whatever, just another box to check. Why don't we create our own platform and blow it up? I want to find more Black-owned, more women-owned, more LGBTQ-owned, more sex worker-owned platforms. That's what I want to see. So, and it's going to be a narrative that I keep bringing up and I'm going to keep bringing to your attention because I, I don't want to just make content that talks around the industry, but let's talk about the industry. So definitely pay attention to where some of these uh, sex workers end up because I think they're going to actually be diversifying. And I think OnlyFans really, really, really hurt their reputation with their employee base, quite frankly. But from one controversy, let's go ahead and jump right on into another one. And this one is all about Austin Evans. It's not even about the new Sony PlayStation redesign that we finally got at least a little bit of testing about. So if you don't know, a couple of days ago, Austin Evans, a very popular YouTuber, he does plenty of, of good work in the, in the, I mean, quite frankly, tech review, tech news space on YouTube. Uh, I love his channel. I'm subscribed to his, to his channel. He's fun. He He keeps it really light. He's not like gamers nexus who's like really really technically sound like they're that's like an engineering channel same with digital foundry they're really deep and in-depth and they keep almost a very adult feel about their approach to a lot of things austin evans is professional but in this specific test he kind of kept things loose so basically what ended up happening is without getting into too many details is when he broke down the new model of the Sony PlayStation, the redesign that we've been talking about for weeks, the one that I said probably wouldn't have a significant change. Well, I guess I potentially was wrong because when he broke it down, there was a significantly smaller heat sink. Now, 300 grams or about half a pound isn't really that much, but when you're talking about something that only weighs about seven pounds and you're talking about computer parts, which are traditionally pretty small, they're not going to be particularly heavy. This was a big change. They also changed the kind of metal they used. They took out all the copper, and copper is very conductive, and I believe aluminum is only 60% conductive as copper is, which means it does not dissipate heat as efficiently. Basically, this could end up affecting your long-term performance of your console because as heat builds up inside the machine... Over time, that causes more wear. You want to keep your inside of your system, any computer, all that, as cool as possible. And I think generally speaking, we know that. But if they're creating a situation where there is not a lot of room for error, or as they said, this is well within spec, listen, we've had cooling issues before with consoles. 360 with the Red Ring of Death. The jet engine that's attached to the play the PlayStation 4 every time you boot it up. There are issues with cooling historically with these consoles. So from Austin Evans' perspective, according to him, this is an objectively worse product because if it's gonna be hotter inside, then that affects the longevity and it affects the value of what you're giving their them your money for. But it's ultimately also not the end of the world. It's not going to stop you from buying a PS5. Digital Foundry came out and had a take, and they were like, you know, it's probably fine. They wrote up a very good article talking about all the different ways that perhaps this might not be as bad as Austin had painted the picture of. Austin, again, wasn't, Austin Evans wasn't very heavy-handed with, he, he wasn't like, oh, this is the worst thing ever. He was just like, I think it's objectively worse, and that is surprising to me. Then things kind of got crazy. YouTubers uh, and Twitter started harassing Austin and people were making reaction videos and calling him a shill and did Microsoft put him up to and all kinds of other stuff. And then he was doxxed. Now, I think a lot of people in the creator space know that that is a really hard line to cross. And once that threshold is crossed, all of a sudden things get really serious and you kind of have to drop 
some of the fun, spirited conversation that you like to have, that you want to have, and why you probably made your channel. But this morning, this afternoon, Austin posted a response video explaining everything that happened, and he stuck by what he had to say, despite the fact that apparently the guy was getting death threats and doxxed and all kinds of other stuff. Listen, none of this is that serious. Calm down, okay? At the end of the day, I think a lot of you guys who are taking this console war stuff a little too serious need to chill out. And those of you that think it's okay, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, those of you who think it's okay to give up people's information or threaten people or any of that because of their opinions on a consumer product or something dumb like that, you're an idiot. You're an idiot, and I don't want you to listen to my show. You know what I mean? And quite frankly, I don't think you can responsibly be a part of the community. It really hurts my feelings that people who act like that, gamers are classified as, or lumped together with. It, it is unfortunate. But let's move on. Shout out to Austin Evans. I hope this situation calms down soon. Next, let's go ahead and talk about Steam's return policy because something popped up on my Twitter feed this week that I thought was very, very disheartening. Uh, again, kind of just bad behavior in the space and kind of, I don't know, man, it, it, it wasn't good to hear that the community acts like this and treats creators like this, but let's go ahead and get into it. On Twitter, Amika Games, that is the publisher and the developer of Summer of 58. It's like a short survival horror type game. Well, basically they posted on Twitter saying that they're getting out of game development. They're not going to be making any games anymore because there's no way for them to be able to live off of what they make. They appreciate everybody who supported them, but they have to stop and think of a new career path because of this policy. Now, what is this policy? Basically, his game did not make a two-hour mark, right? Now, the game subsequently was played by many people, beaten in under two hours, and then returned. Now, this included people who enjoyed the game. First off, I just have to stop here and say, you're a scumbag. Stop it. Your money's not that tight. Your money's not that tight. You know what I mean? I think the game is like less than 20 bucks. You know what I mean? Like, chill out. Like, I don't understand. And more than that, people who play bigger titles give their money away to these giant games. 60 bucks, 70 bucks for a title, but will return a, a $10 game to an indie developer. That's despicable. That's despicable. It's like some of the worst, like, who are you? They're a starving artist. Like, are you serious? Like, that's ridiculous. Like, I, a lot of people put a lot of really hard work and are underpaid for the work that they give us just purely for our, our enjoyment and, and you don't dirty like that. Anyway, basically, because the game didn't meet two hours and the policy says that two weeks in real time or two hours in game time and you can return it. Anything under those numbers and you can return the game. No questions asked. But... This little loophole they have really prevents people from making games that aren't fluffed up. You know, I like a trimmed down experience that that just is the game and that's it. No extra stuff. You know what I mean? No padding. But it sucks that this policy even needs to change because this policy is probably like the gold standard in terms of return policies in the gaming space to begin with and the fact that this needs tweaking just because people can't self-govern and keep themselves out of trouble like really really breaks my heart man if you steal games bro you don't love games if you're stealing this bro you don't care about the industry you don't care like at all like Bro, don't tell me you're a fan then. Don't tell me you love this uh, medium then. Don't tell me that. You're just a consumer. I'm sorry. Th that story upset me. Let's go ahead and jump into our next segment and get away from all this controversy and move into some more news all about the Platform Wars. Now, if you're not familiar, the Platform Wars is where we keep a pulse on the major platforms in the gaming space and where they are headed to next. So, 
we're going to go ahead and start with Nintendo. Now, we had a rumor come across the ticker this week, and it was the fact that Game Boy Color may just be coming to Nintendo Switch Online, quote, really soon. Now, this is from Nate the Hate. Hopefully, Nintendo Switch Online will get the Game Boy and Game Boy Color because their games library has been pretty lackluster. You know, you got the SNES and the NES on there. And, you know, granted, for $20 a year, not bad. I will happily play $20 worth of games on that service throughout the year. But I would, re- everybody, I- I'm not the only one, everybody is hoping and praying for N64, for GameCube, or at the very least, the Game Boy. Now, I'm going to say right off the bat, don't expect Game Boy Advance quite yet. That is probably going to be coming farther down the line. And don't expect Pokemon because it's not technically a Nintendo first party, though they are an investor in the Pokemon company. And I think if they were ever going to re-release Pokemon, they would do it for an exorbitant amount of money because why wouldn't they? I would buy it again. Anyway, there also, you know, there wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised that when this happens, there's a price increase of at least like $5 a year, maybe 10. I wouldn't be, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they doubled it. And if you want N64 and GameCube later on down the line, let's say probably in the next console generation, when Nintendo Switch Online really gets some feet under them, if you want that, that's going to cost big bucks. Now, now we're talking about a $20 a month subscription. If you want to be able to play whatever game from your N64 and your GameCube, because those are still to this day, I think the most popular consoles for Nintendo in just in terms of like the, the conversation around like, what do you love? What do you have the most nostalgia around? What, what would you play again? If I could grab any console, a bunch of people would say N64, would say GameCube. Moving on, let's go ahead and jump into the Sony PlayStation segment. Now, Sony actually announced this week some cool stuff. Last week we had talked about, or two weeks ago, we had talked about a potential state of play coming. Turns out Sony is actually going to be having a PlayStation 5 showcase on September 9th at 1 p.m. Pacific and expectations are sky high. They just announced, I believe, today or yesterday. And ever since then, God of War has been trending. Horizon Forbidden West has been trending. People are starved for any new information. And quite frankly, I think they are going to give us something impactful. I wouldn't be surprised if we got a God of War release date, honestly, because I think Sony is feeling the pressure of Game Pass. They're feeling the pressure of this holiday release schedule. They're feeling people talking about their new uh, PlayStation 5 and its redesign and how it might be worse. That was a big conversation that was happening in the space. So I'm not surprised they're having a showcase and they're trying to give us something to get excited about. I certainly am. I'm going to be checking out next Thursday, September 9th. Our next story for Sony this week is all about the SSD and Ratchet and Clank. Now, this comes to us from VGC and Coding Secrets. Coding Secrets is a YouTube channel that did this video that actually shows the technical side of how the dimensional rifts are developed. Now, the the dimensional rifts are basically where you can play in what seems to be two different levels at one time. You can instantly load into one level from another level with no load screen. Very impressive, and they designed it as some kind of dimensional, a change in dimension within the game. Now, this, of course, is the biggest selling point of the game, and we were told that it was not possible on previous console generations, and that particular part, the fact that it was not possible on any other console, is what Coding Secrets took to task. So, because the rifts, and he broke it down a little better, I suggest you go take a, take a look at his video, but because the rifts are on rails, it, get, it gives the game time to load the next section. They basically made fancy loading screens. What you're playing through when you're going through these short bursts of sections are basically just one big fancy loading screen 
that yes, is utilizing the SSD, but not in a way that couldn't be done on a PS4 or things of that nature. And he actually showed an example of a game he did it on in two generations ago on the Xbox 360 for a Lego game. So this kind of uh, manipulation of memory isn't new or isn't particularly over-the-top wow. But And again, no not, the PS5 is still an incredibly fast SSD. But, you know, it's likely, like a lot of games that we're probably going to get up until next year, late next year, didn't have time to fully utilize the SSD, straight up. I, I mean, if you were developing this game for four years, three years, before the console came out, or was even announced, I don't know, did you have time to make the most of the latest technology when you haven't even seen it in the wild yet? I don't know. I would say no. But at the end of the day, is the, was it a false statement? It's not possible on previous generation consoles. Yes. Do I think it's a big deal? No. It's marketing speak. I do think that, you know, it is becoming more and more apparent from the Sony side, at least, that we may not be getting true next-gen experiences for some time, if not only because Horizon Forbidden West is also going to be a cross-gen title. So, let's go ahead and get into Microsoft Xbox because I have to give it to them again. I know I tore them down last week, but there was more news that dropped. So, first, let's go ahead and give you some, some of the lighter stuff because they gave us some better context as to why we did not see a trailer or any kind of anything at Gamescom or at their Xbox showcase last week. Now, this is coming to us from GameSpot. Microsoft's Joseph Staten said in a Halo Infinite blog post, quote, in many ways, shutting down a game is like being on final approach to landing an airplane. We're at a critical phase in the flight, and that is Halo Infinite. So it's extremely important to avoid distractions and stay focused on mission-critical tasks only. So I, I understand the frustration. We haven't seen anything from the campaign outside of a cinematic trailer since the great Craig debacle of last summer. What I would say is have a little sympathy for the devs, if not for the, the publisher. I think Microsoft should be a lot better about being clear about these things. I think Microsoft really does need to think about how it markets its games. I think there have been numerous times where it's been a little fudgy as far as how they're describing some of these titles to us or the amount of information they're giving us before launch. I wouldn't say it's as far as to say misleading, but it does make everyone nervous and eventually could start affecting your sales on launch day because at the end of the day, dude, like, we don't even know what we're buying yet. You know what I mean? Especially with the multiplayer being free to play, like we need more information before I'm willing to give you $60 for something I have not seen. That just seems fairly irresponsible. So who knows? Hopefully they'll be able to give us something before launch. Obviously they will because they have to do a whole marketing blitz, but I need to see something soon. The same way we need to see something soon from Sony. Honestly, these companies need to show us something before these holidays get here. I need to know what I'm buying. Um, anyway, let's get into the actual chunky Xbox story, and it is the Halo multiplayer XP controversy. We got some news this week that apparently, for those of you who have ever played an online multiplayer game, you get XP per match based on what you did and it's kind of always a random amount but no matter what you just get general i played the game all the way through xp apparently halo's not going to be doing that and they're actually going to run all their experience points through challenges yes through challenges so i'm going to read you a quote from john jasek a uh, halo community manager and this is what he had to say on twitter the tech preview had an issue that caused people to run out of challenges. Our current plan for launch, while not infinite, means it's extremely difficult to run out of daily challenges. I won't say impossible, because there is some grinders out there, but I'd be impressed. 
somebody brought up later asked directly like will we be getting xp for you know each match and he replied playing and winning matches will be challenges which will help players progress through the battle pass even though this means no per match xp at launch they're still always progressing through challenges and therefore the battle pass will update the blog to clarify so oh this this is really really frustrating because I have played challenge-based XP uh, before or just had situations where I had to play certain game modes if I wanted to level up quicker, and it's a very frustrating situation. I'm a grinder, but like there are definitely certain things that it's just not worth the points for me. So, a couple things. One, if completing a match is a challenge and playing a match is a challenge and winning a match is a challenge... Why wouldn't you just give me per match XP? Why the the runaround? Also, you said no per match XP at launch. Why the distinction there? Because are you later implementing per match XP? Does that mean you're behind in development? It just it 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 forces me to ask so many questions about how you're structuring uh, the progress in your online multiplayer game. And given progress is probably one of the biggest selling points behind, obviously, the visual experience, the social experience, and the literal gameplay, I think people are going to want to know more information about this and soon. And it also just foots challenge grinders against objective-focused players. You know what I mean? Like, listen, if you're just going to challenge grind, it's like the camo grind in uh, Call of Duty, in Modern Warfare 2019, you had everybody who had to mount to get the mount challenge if they wanted to get the gold gun, right? So you had a bunch of people sitting on walls forever during any game mode and not capturing the spawn point or capping the flag or even really trying to win in team deathmatch because the only kills that matter to them are wall mount kills. That's what I, I immediately jump to now some other people brought up some good points like listen man if one of the challenges is use a sniper and i'm not a sniper player what does that put me do i just play for free now i don't get any xp because i don't feel like using a sniper today that seems pretty unfair and it doesn't seem like you're giving a lot of freedom to players to play how they want whatever game mode they want whatever weapon they want i thought that was the whole opening of this living live service multiplayer halo experience i need to see more from this game and i honestly i didn't i never thought i would care this much about halo but the last couple of weeks with how much how much press it's gotten how much i know fans are excited about it how much is writing on this for microsoft to really land something super important just as a company this is probably one of their biggest releases in their history straight up and down. So they have to hit this nail on the head. I'd hate to be a developer over at 343. I'd hate to be anybody over there running their books or their project management or their marketing. It is tough. I bet it is hot in that building right now. But with that, we're going to go ahead and go into our second break. It looks like you guys are getting an extra long episode this week. So When we come back, we're going to jump into our trigger warning topic of the week, and we're going to be talking all about the Peggy ratings board and loot boxes versus gambling. Come back, stay tuned, and we'll get into it. Thank you very much. My name is Wack Ops, and this is Hardcore Casual. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back. Let's go ahead and jump into our trigger warning topic of the week. And that is where we dissect everything under the surface and bring it to light. This week, it's all about the Peggy ratings board and their hypocrisy around loot boxes versus gambling. Now, I'm not going to take too much credit for this one because honestly, I'm taking a lot of this information from Yong Yeah on YouTube and also uh, some quotes and uh, articles by Joe Merrick and uh, Ask About Gaming. So, 
we're going to go ahead and jump into what this is all about. So essentially, the PEGI ratings board is, I believe, Europe's ratings board like the USRB. Basically, they tell you and parents generally what games should their kids be allowed to play based on age ratings. Recently, they had changed how gambling affects the rating of a game. Now, when I say gambling, I mean specifically imagery of casinos, simulated gambling, or things that show you how to gamble in real life. Now, let me go ahead and read you a quote that gives a little better context to the situation before we really dig into it. Uh, This is from Ask About Gaming. VSC Games Rating Board spokesperson said, quote, in 2020, the PEGI criteria were changed so that in the future, any games featuring moving images that teach and or glamorize the use of games of chance that are played slash carried out as a traditional traditional means of gambling will be rated PEGI 18. What does that mean? Basically, what that means is any games that glamorize or teach you how to play these games by traditional means of gambling will be rated PEGI 18. The, the article continues. This refers to types of betting or gambling for money that is normally played or carried out in casinos, gambling halls, or racetracks. It does not cover games where betting or gambling is simply a part of the general storyline. The game must actually teach the player how to gamble or bet and or glamorize gambling. For example, this will include games that teach players how to play card games that are usually played for more money or how to play the odds in horse racing, end quote. So all of that is to say that they're dancing around trying to say that loot boxes is gambling. That's what this is. Gambling was not a rule in this Peggy rating before 2020. They did not care about imagery of gambling because no, everybody understood that the currency in a video game could not be converted into real money or vice versa. Thusly, it's not really gambling. It's just the idea of gambling. Okay, fine. But everybody knows gambling in a, in a video game is either a cheat and a way around getting money or it is uh, boring. If I, that's not the appeal of gambling. The appeal of gambling is risk and you're not risking anything in a video game. Um, beside the point, I do think that, you know, I wouldn't have a problem with this law because, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, gambling, whatever, I get it. I dig you. If you want to keep that away from kids, I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is the double standard when it comes to loot boxes because when it comes to any kind of surprise mechanics or what we all know as literal gambling, it does not affect the age rating of the game. Games like FIFA and NBA 2K are still rated at Peggy 3. What does that mean? A three-year-old is allowed to play a game that literally is a casino. You can pay money to roll a slot machine and hope you get your money back or something of value back. So a three-year-old's allowed to play that, but they're not allowed to play a game like Pokemon Red and Blue because of the game's corner. Pokemon Red and Blue is rated Peggy 12 because of that game's corner. The game's corner is the little simulated slot machines and and little casino within one of the cities. And this game came out in like, you know, 94, whatever, 95. If, If Pokemon Red or Blue was released today, it would be Peggy 18 unless the game's corner was removed. A useless, not it's not a gambling mechanic in the game. It boils down to the resemblance of gambling, not the actual gambling itself. The loot boxes and the card packs, etc. don't matter to the rating board, even if the psychological effects of slot machines are the exact same as card packs. It's absolutely a ridiculous standard. I, I do suggest everybody go out and watch Yang Ye's video, or go read the article and ask about gaming. This is uh, back in February, I believe this article is from. But 
The reason I'm talking about it today, too, is because we're finally starting to see some of these Peggy ratings being implemented. So definitely pay attention when you see that Peggy pop up. Go back and read why, because there are plenty of examples of games that I would say are totally and completely permissible to teens, young adults, and even, you know, older kids, because they're, they're, they're not, me teaching a kid how to play blackjack isn't going to make them a problem gambler more than opening those card packs every weekend get my cousin asking me for 20 bucks every week so that he can open some more card packs so he can get the new lebron james that's addict behavior bro but you know if if somebody wants to roll the slots in pokemon blue that's not going to turn them into a gambling addict they're not going to be in vegas every week uh, you know uh, uh, betting the spread it's honestly really disheartening that the ratings board is looped in with what essentially is lobbyists in this space. But given what we had talked about last week um, with the water grading, things like that, I think rating and grading and things like that, I'm going to start paying more and more attention to these different groups who are supposedly the arbiters of truth and are supposed to tell us exactly how these things work. I just, based on my own research and things that I'm curious about in my regular life, I know that even the Hollywood, uh, you know, teen uh, or PG-13 RX ratings are totally arbitrary. It's by a bunch of stuffy parents. You know what I mean? That's who's rating these things. It's all the hardline parents and not the vast majority of us. And the rules change purely based on context. And I, I don't think that that is entirely fair, given that it's not working in the favor of the consumer, and it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. But on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. I don't want you guys to forget to holler at me. Come join us and be a part of a growing community. Do not forget to support the show. Join us on Twitter. I'm at WACOPS. That's W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. On Instagram, again, W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. And lastly, you can hit me, W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. That's WACOPS at gmail.com. If you're showing love, I need the sub. If you're trying to holla, I need the follow. If you enjoy the content, don't forget to comment. And if you're liking what we do, download, share, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Now, again, I want to leave you guys with what I always leave you with, something of positivity, something to keep you going. And this week, I'm actually very, very, very excited about it. Now, the shout out of the week is where we give people their flowers and hold them up high. I got not one, but two tabletop RPGs that I want to bring to your attention. I know, so random. Why would I be talking about tabletop RPGs? Well, because I have a black-led and a native-led team of developers who are developing RPGs just for you and for me. If you guys don't know, I am not only a black man, but a native man. And this is so exciting that I found both of these teams at the same time, just scrolling through Twitter. So the first one is Into the Motherlands. It is a black-led tabletop RPG. I'm going to read you a quote directly from them. Quote, Into the Motherlands is a new sci-fi odyssey funded and supported by Twitch, developed by a fantastic team of POC RPG designers with an amazing POC talent, both on screen and working hard behind the scenes to bring you a tale of misguided travels and adventures led astray many generations in the past. Please, please go support Into the Motherlands, this Black-led development team. I'm so excited for them. You can follow them on Twitter at Motherlands RPG, or go ahead and follow them on Twitch at twitch.tv slash cipher of tier. Please go support them. I don't play too much D&D anymore. I was into it for a little while there in 2020, but as I launched this podcast, I kind of had to make some tough decisions, but that doesn't mean I don't want you guys going out and supporting, and I know they already have my money. I'm going to make sure that they have my support as much as possible. And next, we actually have a native-led tabletop RPG, which excited me so much because I see so little native 
representation in media ever at all. This is Coyote and Crow. They're referring to this as indigipunk, as in indigenous punk. It, it looks dope. I, it's like, uh, quite frankly, it's as if like Horizon Zero Dawn wasn't full of white people with dreads, and it was actually just indigenous folks. I'm going to read you a quote directly from their page. Quote, we're a tabletop fantasy role-playing game created and led by a team of natives set in an alternative future where colonization never occurred. They, again, already have my money. That is an amazing concept. I can't wait to play the story. This one actually might be one that I really, really get into, but I don't know if I'll have the time. Either way, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to make sure I display it, make sure I show everybody how much love and support we can show to our smaller development teams, to our people of color development teams. And I'm glad to be talking about something that represents not only my black side, but my native side. And in a, quite frankly, a relatively wholesome way, we're not talking about a billion dollar business or company or somebody getting the bag this week. We're just talking about opportunities for you, the listener, to support these different groups. Now, before I get out of here, let me make sure that I shout out Coyote and Crow and their socials. You can follow them at Coyote capital N Crow RPG. You can also check out their website at coyoteandcrow.net. And please don't forget to support their Kickstarter because they're still in development and they sure could use the funds. With that, I'm going to leave you guys with a little extra time on the clock. Thank you very, very, very much for being here. I see the growth. I see you guys out there sharing. I appreciate it every single time. Let's keep this train rolling. Next week, we're going to go ahead and jump into whatever this crazy gaming industry throws at us. But until then, I am Whack Ops. This is Hardcore Casual. Have fun, be cool, and stay dangerous. Dangerous.